Hello, I'm Shane Hartsfield, pastor of Beaver Baptist Church. Thank you for listening to our weekly podcast. If you have any questions about what it means to follow Christ or questions about our church, direct you to our website, beaverbaptist.com, for our contact information. Weekly, we study exegetically through books of the Bible. And now, join us as we dive into today's passage. Colossians chapter 4. You know, those believers in Colossae, the, the, the believers that Paul is writing this letter to, they could say that. They could say that the blood of Jesus was their victory. They were believers. Epaphras, who started the church there, had already given testimony to that to Paul. He told them these people love, love, love Jesus and they love each other. So they were believers, but there was some trouble in the church. Some people that infiltrated the church and they were teaching things that weren't true. They were teaching a false gospel. They were saying that yeah, you need to trust Jesus, but you need to do some other things too. You need to have certain experiences. You need to have some special knowledge. There's some certain things you, that you shouldn't do or you should do. There's certain foods you can't eat. There's certain days you have to keep this holy. So there were, when, when they were to talk about their relationship with God, what they would do is they would say a whole lot of eyes. I did this. I know this. I did this. So there's a false gospel being preached. And so Paul is writing to these believers admonishing them not to not to listen to the false gospel. In fact, he says, you are complete in Christ. You have received fullness in Christ. What is true of Jesus, if you placed if you've repented and placed your faith and trust in Jesus, true of you. Jesus died, he was buried. If you're a believer in Christ, you have been united in Christ in his death and his, his burial, but also in his resurrection. You've been given new life in Christ. And so because of that, Paul has already told these believers that they're to set their hearts on things above. Set their hearts and their minds on things above, on eternal things, not on earthly things. So how do they go about doing that? Well, um, he used the analogy of taking off the old self and putting it on the new self. It's like taking off old clothes and putting it on new clothes. So what you need to do is you need to take off the old self. You need to stop doing the things that are uncharacteristic of a believer. You need to stop being sexually immoral. You need to stop being angry and having fits of rage. You should stop lying. Those are things that you shouldn't do. But then he says, also, there's some things you should do. You should do things that are characteristic of a believing life. You should have compassion towards one another. You should be kind. You should be you should bear with one another. Within your church, you should forgive one another. You should speak gospel truth to each other. Those who are complete in Christ should also treat their families well and those they work with in a certain way. Last week we talked about how Christian wives, you should submit to your husbands. You should put yourselves under the authority of your husband by helping your husband and following his leadership. You anticipate his desires and you yield to them when possible. Right? And husbands, you should love your wives and be gentle with them. Just as you poured out your affection on them when you first married, you should seek to do the same even now, years later. How do you do that? How do you love your wives gently? We talked about some specific things. We said give her quality time. You can serve her. Give her non-intimate touch. Just a few ways you can love her gently. Sunday night, we finished chapter 3 and started chapter 4. And we looked at how Christian children should treat their parents. They should obey. Their lives should be characterized by obedience. Parents, how should we 
Christians, Christian parents lead our children. We should discipline them without exasperating them. We said that when a child disobeys, we should handle it much like a line judge, a referee. And during a football game, you have a line judge. What happens when that when someone jumps off sides? Whistle blown, you throw a flag, right? Then you let them know. And what does the referee not do? The referee doesn't start screaming and yelling and telling you how incompetent you are, do they? Blake does that, right? He's the coach. <laughs> Leave that up to the coach, right? The referee doesn't do that. They don't throw a flag and start telling you how horribly you played, how idiotic that, that was for you to jump off sides. What do they do? They, they blow the whistle, throw the flag. They let you know what the infraction was. What did you do wrong? They tell you what the discipline's going to be. They administer the discipline, right? Ten yards, ten yard penalty. And what do they do? Play resumes. And that's how we should we should handle discipline with our children much the same way. Okay? We said that Sunday nights. We also talk about Christian employees. Can you be a Christian and not be a responsible worker? Can you be lazy? And not do your job well. No. As a believer, those who receive new life in Christ, you're to work as unto the Lord. Right? What about employers? Those bosses, those people who manage others. Can you treat your employees unjustly and be a believer? No. We said the golden rule applies, right? That's a big mantra in our home. Do to others as you would have them do to you. So that's what Christian employees, employers should do. Paul has admonished them to treat each other well in the church. He's addressed family and work relationships. And today, Paul's going to tell us how to treat the lost, those outside the family of God, those who are not Christians. Let me ask you a question as we begin. Can you, can you experience the grace of God and not tell anybody? Can you have your life changed once being an enemy of God, your life's at enmity with God, and now be reconciled to this holy God and be silent about it? Can you be an object of God's wrath, dead in your trespasses and sins one moment, repent, trust Jesus' death on the cross for you, trust that Jesus did rise on the third day, be forgiven for all your sins, be given new life in Christ and not let anybody know about it. Well, let's find out. Chapter 4, verse 2 through 6. Ms. James, you read that for us. We'll be reading it again. The first thing I think we can learn from this verse 2 through 6 is that a believer's life should be characterized by watchfulness. Or you could say prayerfulness. Believers, Christians, should be a prayerful people. Notice it says, devote yourselves to prayer. We should be persistent in prayer. Luke, uh, Luke 18, Jesus tells a parable, and it's about a, a widow, and she had had a problem. Someone had been treating her unfairly, unjustly. So she goes to an un, she goes to a judge, and it says, Jesus tells a story, and he says, the judge doesn't care about people, nor do they fear God. So in other words, you've got a jerk for a judge, right? He's unjust. And so the woman goes to this unjust judge and asks, asks uh, pleads for cause, and he, he ignores her. But Jesus says, because of the woman's persistent nagging, this unjust judge who doesn't give a rip about people and doesn't fear God, what does he do? He finally deals with her case. Why? 
get her out of his hair. And Jesus tells in verse 1 of, of Luke chapter 18 why he told the parable. He told the parable to teach it, and that's what parables usually all have one point. And the main point of this parable is Jesus says you should be persistent in prayer. Characteristic of, of believers. The Colossian believers would be persistently watchful in prayer. You remember several weeks ago I told you, or almost every week, as we're studying Colossians, there's a par- parallel text usually in the book of Ephesians. Though written by the same person at the same time, sent out by the same at the same person, being carried to the recipients by the same person, and, and under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul has these things on his mind. And so Ephesians, it says, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. And the context there, if you remember, is putting on the armor of God, right? The last part is prayer. Be alert, he says to the Ephesians. Be watchful, he says to the Colossians. But these are necessary because we have an enemy, right? We have an enemy who's deceptive. And he is a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So we're to be watchful. We're to be alert, right? There's a spiritual battle going on, a war, spiritual war going on daily. And a believer who doesn't consistently pray, who doesn't have prayer as, as a, a habit in their life, is either they don't care or they're overly confident in their own abilities, right? Because we do have an enemy who's looking for someone to devour, right? So we need to be persistent in prayer. But it's this thought of being prayerful continually, some, it kind of throws people for a loop. It's hard for some people to understand that. Because what do we do for our, with our children? When our children are really young, before we before we eat, we give thanks, what do we tell them? Do you like this? What? Close your eyes. Yeah, close your eyes. Well, how do we do that? How do we be consistently prayerful, watchful and prayerful if we're like this, right? We just can't function in life. We just can't do that. We can't bow our heads and close our eyes. But I think this is part of what Jesus taught in John 15. You remember the passage where Jesus says, Remain in me. If you remain in me, you'll bear much fruit. I think that's part of what he was saying there, that remaining part is being prayerful, right? Being prayerful, being in communion with God, being in fellowship with God. Acts chapter 2, verse 42, we've been studying on Wednesday night. The, the, the believers there were devoted to prayer. That means they just prayed all the time. They just went to the church or in their home they just prayed 24-7. No, they did. They worked and they took care of their families and they took care of their husbands and they took care of their wives and they lived life, right? They cared for neighbors and they played, right? But they did that with a, with a prayerful uh, attitude. It's not so much the words that come out of your mouth as the posture of your heart. It's constructing our mental life to be able to do more than one thing at the same time. Spiritual multitasking. Brother Lawrence, he's a medieval monk, and he has a book. And it's entitled, The Practice of the Presence of God. And I highly recommend it. Jenny and I, we actually, we we first met, we had to read this book in a class we had together. And this is what he says. He says it's quiet times, you know, it's study time. You know, you hear that as in VBS, right? We're going to teach the children that. You know, you need to have a quiet time. 
know, time where you read the scripture and spend time praying. You never really outgrow that. You know, I'm a preacher. I've studied theology and I'm doing ministry for 20 years. You never get away from that. You can't. It always comes back to that having that time daily with the Lord. But this is what Brother Brother Lawrence he says about that. He says the time of business does not differ with me from the time of prayer. Now he was in, in charge of washing the dishes at their monastery. And in the noise and the clatter of my kitchen, while several persons are at the same time calling for different things, I possess God in as great tranquility as if I were on my knees. What he's saying is, his time of communion in the Lord, that prayer time and he has in the morning or in the evening, whenever he has it, is just as sweet as when he's washing dishes. In the book, the title of the book, The Practice of the Presence of God. We need to practice the presence of God. Where we can do things, live life, but yet we can be in communion with the Lord at the same time. Brother Lawrence, I highly recommend that. Look, it's a continual coming back to fellowship with the Lord. And notice he says here, uh, and being thankful. That's a thing. We've seen that over and over again in Colossians. What does it mean to be thankful? It means just to remember the old mercies, right? Remember the old mercies of God that was first on to, to, to new ones, right? Yeah, we should be we should be thankful. One of the things we do as a family to instill this in our children is at night we have a little time with our children where we, it's like a devotional time or whatnot. But one of the things we do is we allow them to say, verbalize what they're thankful for. You know, the Bible says that every every good thing we have comes from the Lord. We I mean, think about that. The things you experience in life that are good, that feel good, that make you happy, that make you laugh that are comfortable. Anything that's good comes from the Lord. It's a gift from God. And so we teach that to our children coupled with everything above, everything above hell is a privilege, right? That's true of us, right? We all deserve hell, right? Everything above that's a privilege. So couple those together and we want to instill in our kids to be thankful so we just have them mention something. Even Anna Grace, who's shy, she didn't talk a whole lot, but we have her verbalize. Yes, I'm thankful for this today. This is something I need to be thankful for. But we need to be thankful. We've seen this over and over again. We need to be uh, prayerful and we need to be thankful. A believer should should have a life characterized by prayerfulness. The second thing I, I see in this text is that we communicate with God in prayer so we can communicate the gospel to the world. Look at verse 3 and 4. This is Paul. I pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ which I'm in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. So Paul's in prison for preaching the gospel, but what, is he, what does he still long for? He still longs for opportunities to share the gospel. He told them, pray. Pray for opportunities for me to share, but also when I share, pray that I'll be able to present the gospel in a way that people understand it, the way it's clear, right? Back to the question of whether we can receive the grace of God. Can we receive salvation and not, and not share and not tell somebody about it? Well, there's a story in 2 Kings chapter 7. I know we get busy and we don't need to read a lot of the Bible, but I'm just telling you, the Bible is awesome. Read the Bible. I mean, the stories in it are incredible. Uh, 2 Kings chapter 7, it's during Elisha's time. And the Arameans have laid siege to Samaria. At that time, Samaria was the capital of Jerusalem, right? The Israelites' capital. And so the Arameans had laid siege to it. And what that meant is they didn't let anything in or out. So after a while, what happens? It's kind of like you're starving them out. Right? And so they're, they're getting so hungry, they're eating donkeys' heads and dove 
droppings. The Bible. It's in the Bible. You should read it. It's fabulous. Read it. But that, they're so hungry that that's what they're eating. Well, these lepers saw the idea. And two lepers, they get together and I said, look. And that's what lepers did. They spent a lot of time together because they couldn't spend time with their family. They were like, look, we're going to die here. And just very soon. Why not we just take a chance and go out to the Aramean camp? Who knows? They might let us live. So the next morning, they did just that. And they go up to the Aramean camp. And you know what they found? Nobody. The Aramean camp was abandoned. See, in the middle of the night, because God is gracious to His people, He allowed them to hear chariots and, 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 and soldiers. And the Arameans thought erroneously that, that the Israelite king had hired the Hittites and the Egyptians to come to their aid. So they're thinking all these, these big massive armies coming to attack them. So what do they do? They just jumped up and left everything. Left it sitting just as it was. And so what do the lepers do? They come to camp. Well, first thing they do is they eat, right? Because they're hungry. And so they eat, and then they start finding all the loot, right? And they, so they go off, and they start burying, hiding. And then they come back. Let me read this to you. In verse 9, it says, They said to each other, We are not doing right. This is a day of good news, and we're keeping it to ourselves. So what they did is they went back and reported to the gatekeepers, and of course the people of the city were were saved, right? And they had all of this food and all of this loot, right, uh, to live on. He says, we're not doing right. This is a day of good news and we're keeping it to ourselves. Can we receive the grace of God? Can we receive salvation from the Lord and not tell others? Absolutely not. Back to our text here, verse 3 and 4. Paul's praying for opportunities. He's praying for clarity as he has those opportunities. Let me ask you a question. Who holds the keys to allowing us to, to share the gospel? I mean, who who's responsible for us having opportunities to share? Who, who, who is responsible for us sharing the, the, the message clearly so people can understand? And who, who's responsible for, for preparing that person's heart, making them receptive to it? And, and who's responsible for granting that person repentance and faith? Yeah, all those questions. Yes, God, right? And Paul knew that. Paul understood it's God who's responsible for that. God had to move and work in the hearts of the lost in order for them to repent. We see this throughout the Scripture. We hear about a door being opened, right? All through the New Testament, chapter fourteen. After Paul and Silas, Paul and Silas, I mean Paul and Barnabas, their first missionary journey. What do they do after they finish? They went back to the church and sent out to report. Hey, this is what the Lord did through us. This is what the Lord did through you by you sending us out. And so they go and report. And he reported in verse 27 all that God had done through them and how he God had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. Did God open that door? Lydia, you remember her? She, she was a dealer in purple cloth. She lived in Philippi. And, and when she became a believer, Paul says, God opened her heart to respond. Paul, again, telling the Corinthian believers, he wanted to come see them, but he just didn't want to pass through. He didn't want to make a quick trip. He wanted to come back when he could spend a lot of time. But he says, I will, in, in chapter 16, verse 8 9, but I will stay on at Ephesus until Pentecost. Because why? Because a great door for effective work has opened to me. See, we won't have opportunities to share the gospel unless the Lord gives it to us. And we won't be clear in our message where people can understand it unless the Lord helps us do that. See, God does the work. 
see Paul. Sometimes you think, you know, Paul is just incredible. And a lot of times you hear this. Well, he's the greatest. He's, he's the greatest preacher since Paul. You hear people say that. Well, Paul, why was Paul so successful? And he was successful. God used him in a mighty way to bring about, really, to help fulfill the, the Abrahamic covenant. It was amazing. God used him in the redemption history in a mighty, mighty way. But why was that so? Why was he so successful? Why did he see so many people repent? Why did he see so many churches planted? It wasn't because of Paul. Paul says over and over again, man, I can't even, I don't even feel comfortable talking. I can't even do that well. But it's God, right? God has to do the work. And who got the glory? If God does the work, who gets the glory? God does, right? Yeah. God gets the glory because He does the work. Well, if God is so sovereign, if God is sovereign over everything, right? He's all powerful and he's he's in charge of everything, then why does he why does he use us? Why does he need us? Why does he use us? Well, God really doesn't need anything, but he uses us. Why? All I can say is he has purposed the means as well as the end. That's just the way God works. That's just the way God works. We see in the scriptures God using angels to give messages. People having visions and dreams. But in those times, you never, never see an angel sharing the gospel. You never hear a, an angel proclaiming the good news. It's always people, because that's God. God has purposed the means as well as the end. Turn, turn to Bible Revelation chapter three, real quickly about opening God, opening doors. He's, one who opens the doors, closes the doors. Revelation chapter 3, verse 7 and 8. He's, uh, John writing to the church in Philadelphia. Revelation chapter 3, verse 7 and 8. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I place before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength that you have kept my word and not denied my God opens doors. He gives us opportunities. What's our responsibility? Our responsibility is to pray, ask for opportunities, ask for clarity, but God does all the work. Right? He does. He does all the work. In China, our work, we, our work was real simple. Um, we would meet with um, believers, a few believers in our church, in our, in our city, but we would meet with those believers. And every time we would meet, every time we would meet, I would ask them, who'd you share the gospel with this week? And have them share. He said, well, why did you ask that question? Because by me being their pastor or leader, asking that question, it lets them know that that is really important. And it is. That's what believers do. It's part of what we do. We share the gospel with people. And also we would have names. We'd say we would have them write down a few names of people they knew that didn't know the Lord. But some of them were family members, some of them were husbands, some of them were wives, some of them were kids, some of them were grandparents, some of them were neighbors. We'd write down a few names each one, and then we'd share those names with each other. And then we began to pray. And we pray for those people. And so every week I'd say, well, hey, did anybody have an opportunity to share the gospel? Someone would say, Yeah, you know, we've been praying for Sister Lil. I had an opportunity this week to share with her. Wow, that's awesome. Because not only did she had an opportunity to share, this lady heard the good news, but we had a part in it. And we were like, wow, that's awesome. Lord used us, right? 
But you know what else we did? Because Paul prayed for opportunities, but also clarity. Every week we got together, we would not only ask who, who got to share the gospel this week and allow them to give a testimony, but then we would practice the story every week. We practice just sharing the gospel with each other. And a lot of times we just do it kind of popcorn style. I just kind of begin, and when I, when I stopped, I just point to somebody. They would pick up where I left off. We practice that every week. People had confidence to share the gospel. We, when we had opportunities, we wanted to be prepared to share clearly, even as we asked Him to help us share the gospel clearly. We're responsible for asking for opportunities and that our gospel presentation be clear. Okay? But, but that's not all. Look at verse 5 and 6. The last thing we see in this text is how we treat non-believers should be characterized by grace and wisdom. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Outsiders meaning who? Non-believers. People outside the church, right? People who are, aren't believers. They're not Christians. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders, making the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, season, and salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. We need wisdom to know how to deal with those on the outside looking in. How do we talk to these people? How do we treat these people? Right? We, we, I think we have to meet people where they are. Right? I say it all the time. People who aren't believers, sometimes we're appalled at people's behavior. Non, non-believers, people who haven't been saved, what are they, who do they act like? They act like non-believers. Right? I mean, think about you. I mean, Sometimes we, we forget what it's like to be lost. I mean, think about it, people. Some of you haven't been a believer very long. Think about your life. What did, think about how you lived. And we can go back and read Paul. You know, he, he does that several times in his letters. He says, you know, you should live like this. And he, he, he kind of lays it all out. That was you and me back in the day, right? Before Jesus changed our life. But sometimes we just expect... Non-believers act like Christians. Why? Why does it surprise us when non-believers act like lost people? Lost people do what lost people do, right? And so we need to meet them where they are. We need to have wisdom to know how to meet them where they are. And I can think of several times where I've just said, I mean, you know, we have, we always have regrets in our lives. But I just think about in my ministry, you know, I've been a believer about 20 years. And I, I just, there's several occasions that come out to me, and every time I think about them, it kind of embarrasses me. I think, like, that was the stupidest thing ever could have said to this person. This person doesn't know Jesus. Why did I say that? And I know it just offended them or maybe turned them off, you know, and I just regret it. Right? In China, the culture there is such that, that most men smoke, probably 85% smoke. Uh, and it's a drinking culture. And like every evening they, they drink together. Uh, it's just a drinking culture. And, uh, and so... Alcoholism, drunkenness, that's a big, big issue in that culture. And they all gamble. Like, probably 90% of them gamble. They play cards. They spend a lot of time playing cards with like Chinese dominoes called Machado. They just, they gamble. It's not like, you know, for, you know, a dollar or so. I mean, they gamble for lots of money. They just do it all the time. And so within the church, the, 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 the believers there, those things are just kind of taboo. You know, if you're a believer, man, you just you just don't you don't get drunk, you don't smoke, you don't waste your money, you can't. But several times I would uh, I had neighbors or friends that I've been ministered to loving them. Get to know, you know, I'm just trying to love them, get to know, build relationships with. 
and I had an opportunity to introduce him to some brother. I thought, this is going to be a great opportunity for them. You know, they need to meet some of these Christ- other Christian men and, and talk about things. And so we get them together. And, and like the first thing they start doing is just they start talking about the evils of, of, of smoking and drinking and dancing. And I'm sitting there just cringing, like, oh, please shut up. You know, this guy doesn't know anything about the Bible. Never heard the gospel. I hadn't had an opportunity to show the gospel first. And the first thing these two or three little Christians do, they just talk about the evil laws and how you should do that. And that's horrible and wicked. What about this, this non believing friend? Well, he's just uncomfortable from the get go. You know, by the time they do get around to sharing the gospel, he's got one foot out the door. You know, he's like, look, uh, I gotta go. I gotta go. You know, I got something to do. And that, they do that in China when they really want to go. They say, "Oh, well, you're sure means I have something to do." And it really means I just want to get out of here. And so that's what he does. And so when he leaves, he, he, he walks out the door, and I was kind of looking at his brothers, and I was like, "That's the stupidest thing I've ever seen in my entire life." Sometimes in ministry, you're not real gracious, right? I was like, that was just idiotic. What are you doing? Who cares if he drinks? Who cares if he smokes and gambles all his, his family's money away? Who cares? That's not important if he doesn't know Jesus. If he knows Jesus, don't you think God, Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit is going to let that man know the things he shouldn't do? Didn't he do that in your life? Yeah, he did it in mine too. Don't do that. Meet the man where he is. Don't tell the man he needs to stop doing all this wicked stuff. That was just... They're, they're, and I feel like your conversation wasn't full of grace and it wasn't seasoned with salt. That seasoned with salt, sometimes people think, well, they describe that as being interesting. It may be. I think it has that connotation. But I think it just, just wise. You know, just wise. Just talk to people lovingly. Be gracious to them. Just be wise in how you talk to people. Keep in mind where these people are coming from. <coughs> you talk to non-believers differently than you talk to believers, right? They're, they've got different perspectives. The Bible says, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Jesus said that. So we need to speak graciously to people to show that we've experienced that. We need to be gracious. Meet people where they are. Love them. Right? And you know, the, the, the fact of the matter is most people reject the gospel. The Bible says it's a wide road full of people. The, the, that wide road has got a really big gate. Most people are on that road. When you share the gospel, most people are not going to accept the gospel. That's just truth. It's fact. It's biblical, right? But what we want to do is we want to be gracious to folks. Give an opportunity to hear the gospel. They want to see that we love them. That Jesus has made a difference in our life. It's not just about rules and doing this and about doing that. It's about relationship and how that relationship with Jesus Christ, the creator of the world, the Savior who died for our sins, how that has impacted our lives. So we need to be wise in how we speak to him. You say, well, what, specifically, what do I need to do? Well, I don't know your situation. I don't know the person that you've got in mind right now. But I can tell you what it doesn't mean. Maybe that's the best way to describe that, is to tell you what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that you're being self-righteous, pompous, self-absorbed. You hear that sometimes. Sometimes people tell people about Jesus and they talk about themselves. But, wow, you're awesome. You're incredible. Maybe I should worship you. Right? No. 
we want to tell people the gospel, right? What he's done in our life. It's about him, it's not about us, right? Proverbs 15, 23. It says, A man finds joy in giving an apt reply. And how good is a timely word. We need to be asking for opportunities. And if we have those opportunities, we need to speak graciously. Asking the Lord all the time. Lord, give me opportunity to share the gospel. Give me opportunity to speak truth. Proverbs 25, 11, A word aptly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver. We see today that a believer, a believer's life should be characterized by prayerfulness. We should be prayerful people. Why? Because God does the work. I ask God to give us opportunities to share the gospel with people who need to hear it. And the Lord tell us Say it in the right way. It's not like you're going to God does the same. And some people say, well, I don't share the gospel. I'm scared I'm going to say something wrong. But man, you're not selling back and cleaning it up. You're sharing the gospel. You're sharing the truth of the gospel. Right? You're not going to blow it. You don't save it. You don't send it to hell. You share the truth when you have an opportunity. Graciously and wisely. We need to do that. We need to ask, Lord, give us opportunities. This is my non-believing friend, my family member of mine. So maybe it's like your own house. We need to ask him, Lord, give us opportunities to share. And when, when, when I have an opportunity, Lord, help me say it in a gracious way. Thank you for tuning in today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast if this message has been helpful to you. Again, if you have any questions, go to our website for our contact information, and we'll see you next time.